0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's the Purple Podcast. Well, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, and joining me from the Athletic is Arif Hassan. Arif, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot, Arif, about the addition of Gary Kubiak to the mix for the Vikings as a uh, assistant coach and also an offensive advisor. And I think that the natural first thing that comes to mind is the 2016 situation with Pat Shermer and Norv Turner and bringing in another guy with different offensive philosophies and the potential clashes and things like that. But as I've looked at Gary Kubiak's offense a little more and looked at the efficiency of the quarterbacks he's worked with and some of the names, I've really come around on this being the best idea for the Vikings to have... Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski working together, running Kubiak's offense, that it's probably the best fit they could find for Kirk Cousins. Where do you stand on the move of bringing in Gary Kubiak to the Vikings organization?
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's super appealing to talk about, you know, the potential internal politics or whatever of, of bringing another coach in. But I think that's probably just kind of looking for problems instead of finding them. Um, I, Mike Zimmer's always kind of surrounded himself with very experienced coaches that have experience with a lot of different systems. Definitely uh, brings in former head coaches all the time, and this is just kind of another example of of bringing kind of another offensive mind into the room. Um, I think that you're right that uh, Kubiak has has worked in offenses where he's really overperformed at the talent uh, he's had available to him. Matt Schaub was a Pro Bowler with him. Brock Osweiler got 70 million dollars. Uh, from his offense, Peyton Manning, uh, the 2015 version of Peyton Manning, uh, and Brock Osweiler managed to get to the Super Bowl and win it. Um, I think that there's a lot there to be said about Kubiak as an offensive mind where he's been able to uh, generate a lot more value than I think was originally there in the offense. If you take a look at the quarterback or the running back, I mean, um, and then the run games in particular have been remarkably impressive. I mean, it's easy to take a look and say, ah, Arian Foster. It's very easy to turn that undrafted free agent into, you know, a, a multiple thousand yard, uh, runner, but it's not just him. I mean, he's gotten good years out of like Steve Slayton and Alfred Blue and, uh, just a, a bunch of different running backs in, in a scheme that he's been kind of famous for working with that, that, that zone running scheme. That works directly off of the, the stuff that Denver was doing in the mid nineties with Perel Davis.
1: Has anyone gotten Olandis Gary on the phone? Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's, uh, it's, you know, being able to generate MPP seasons out of, uh, you know, anybody I so, think is, is, is pretty much a, a mark. And it's for some reason at some point a criticism of the system, but it's something I think the Vikings would, would love to have, you know, some version of.
1: And when we look at what happened this year on offense, I do think that some uh, accountability goes to the front office not being able to keep some role players. Jarius Wright is at the top of the list. Of course, they weren't going to be able to re-sign Jarek McKinnon at the price that he demanded, but uh, you know they did lose some talent off of the offense that made it a little bit harder on John D. and. Nick Easton going out and being replaced by Tom Compton and on the offensive line trying to move Mike Remmers into a position he doesn't play. All those things, they factored in to where the offense was, but I also would go back to some of the scheme things that just weren't really fits. And, and there were too many times, reef that we saw Delvin Cook or Latavius Murray running right behind Tom Compton and then just getting stuffed. And if we're talking about Gary Kubiak, it's more of the outside zone type of stuff that was a perfect fit for Delvin Cook when he got here in 2017. And it was a a nice fit when they switched to it immediately, it seemed, when Kevin Stefanski took over. And they could be a lot more effective with that, assuming that Cook is healthy next
0: year. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings have been at the bottom of the league in terms of... You know, yards per attempt or expected points generated from the run or success rate or whatever running metric you want to use. The Vikings have been bottom five this year. Uh, and that's despite the fact that Dalvin Cook uh, is top five in, uh, you know, PFF's elusive rating or whatever you want to use. You know, his ability to break tackles, generate yards after contact. You know, all that has been really impressive. Uh, and, you know, he's been kind of a, a leader in yards after contact per attempt but somehow it doesn't finish the season with like five yards and attempt. And a lot of that has to do with the offensive line uh, and, and finding ways to m- make sure that that offensive line can be more successful when they do run block, I think is w- one of the specialties that, uh, that Gary Kubiak has. I mean, and you could say, you know, he's also a good offensive line talent evaluator. I mean, he found players like Dwayne Brown and Brandon Brooks and Chris Myers in Houston, Matt Paradis in Denver, but um Really, I think a lot of it just has to do with making sure that, that 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 running scheme uh has an answer for basically everything and it can make you know offensive linemen, particularly ones that have the ability to move really well uh it can make them right and then that helps make the running back right and it, it really uh i think provides the Vikings with a lot of resources in terms of in terms of ways they want to improve the running game, something that they're like clearly super committed to, i think regardless of what. You and I have said about that as a priority. It's something that uh, because they've been committed to, I think it makes a lot of sense to bring Kubiak in because he's got that pedigree of working with an outside tone system that has just been remarkably successful over the past two decades in terms of generating really, really good running games.
1: So i've I've gotten a few questions about this through emails and tweets and things like that about the running game and the value of it in in today's game and uh Josh Hermsmeyer wrote a great piece for five thirty eight about teams that call run run pass and just how inefficient that usually is, but there are teams that have some success with the run when it's mixed properly with their passing games. And the, the one that comes to mind right away is the Los Angeles Rams and then mm-hmm. the New Orleans Saints too. Now they have more talent on their offensive lines and it's not really that close, um, but using it effectively within an offense, I think that that can still be a thing. And when Mike Zimmer talks about how, At least when you run the ball, you keep the clock moving a little bit. You keep possession of the ball. You give your defense a rest. I think that there's value in doing that. When you have one, two, threes where, uh, or three and outs, I mean, when your quarterback throws a three-yard pass and then an incompletion and then another (laughs) incompletion or whatever it might be, and the defense has to come right back on the field, I do think that there is something to that. But where do you feel like it needs to fit in? We know that Zimmer's going to want it, but I also think – that with Gary Kubiak involved, Zimmer is going to put his hands up a little bit and back off because this is a guy that knows a lot more about offensive success than Mike Zimmer does, so I think he's going to want to leave it to Kubiak. So what is your sense for where in today's game a running game should fit?
0: Yeah, I mean, like it's not like I want to eliminate teams from running the ball, and I think that you're right that uh there is some balance that you can you can figure out where you can run the ball kind of optimally and especially when you're balancing out those concerns that don't necessarily kind of immediately show up in the efficiency numbers that people tend to run. Uh things like making sure the defense gets enough rest and you know reducing the number of possessions and so on. Uh and I think one of the interesting things about Kubiak is that the way his run games are designed, they're really good for things like play action. And remember Zimmer was talking about near the end of the year, um why you'd want to run play action out from under center instead of shotgun is because it looks much more like a run. It's easier to sell play action off of under center than in shotgun. The same kind of thing could be true for zone running, where it's much easier to run zone action than it is to run uh, you know, play action off of you know, a traditional man or power scheme. Because very often, in order to make that look like a run, you have to pull a guard. And none of your linemen are allowed to get past the line of scrimmage. Otherwise, you can't throw the ball. It creates protection problems, I think, in a bigger way. Uh, and, uh, and it's harder to kind of move the pocket. Whereas with zone action, you can move the pocket. Your runs look exactly like your passes. You don't have to abandon the gap. Um, and so there's, there's a couple of benefits to, to making play action work. And it's something Zimmer's talked about how different play actions can look a little bit different based off of what your run game looks like and running out of uh, under center can make those play actions good. And I think the same thing is probably true of, of the zone stuff, but also, uh, you know, speaking to the argument about how maybe you'll get, You know, Zimmer to back off the offense a little bit because he's got an assistant head coach who has the ability to kind of, uh, administrate or delegate kind of the things that are happening in the offense, provide kind of more direct line without having to, uh, yeah, I guess berate them in the media or anything like that. Um, I think that's true too. It's, uh, it's kind of a a situation where, where Zimmer has the ability to kind of be a head coach in charge of the defense where, and then he's got kind of this other area where he doesn't feel kind of, as obligated to intervene because he's a head coach and that's the offense and that you can just have um, kind of a conduit, someone kind of run your general ideas and implement them in a kind of a more specific and precise manner in ways that, you know, kind of fit your overall game plan. And I think Kubiak's is going to be really good for that.
1: In some ways, because of just how it went down, you feel bad for John Filippo because, he had to be called out in the media a bunch of times by Mike Zimmer in one way or another. And I always appreciate Mike Zimmer's honesty, but if I was advising him, I would not have said, yeah, go make it very clear how unhappy you are with your young play caller and an offensive guy that you hired by the way and you're the head coach and responsible for the entire team and product not just the defense so you can't really point the finger at one person or another and with Pat Shermer that never happened but of course they also were much better on offense uh, it, it will be interesting to see where it goes if they hit some bumps in the road. And I think anytime Kirk Cousins is your quarterback, that will happen where there are multiple down games in a row or where you're not running success successfully. And then it has to be relied on Kirk Cousins or there will be turnovers. There will be third and longs that you don't convert and how Mike Zimmer reacts to them with Gary Kubiak in the building uh, will be worth keeping an eye on just to your point about the zone running and play action. We see the success of it so much, I think, with the Rams and with the Kansas City Chiefs. And there's a thought in hockey about horizontally moving the puck and the impact that that has on a defense and a goaltender. So if just, for example, I mean, you have a guy planted in front of the net, and if you're shooting from directly on, he might not have a great chance, or if you're passing for him Well, let me try to explain it better. If you're passing to him and the goalie can sit there and wait for it and see it and stop it, he's got a much better chance. But if you're passing it from left to right on the ice in front of the goalie and he's got to move, it increases your chances of scoring a goal. And with offense in the NFL, it seems a lot of these teams are figuring out the same thing, is that when you can get a defense moving left to right on these play actions, so if you've got a zone run going left and you're moving everyone left, and then the play is turning back and going to the right, it's very hard for a defense to react at that speed, and that seems to be a big part of what Gary Kubiak wants to do. Yeah,
0: it, it really does. I mean, the the outside zone uh, kind of emphasis that he's had over his years uh, with, with Denver, with Houston, for a hot second with Baltimore, uh, they've created uh, not just some of the top run games uh, in the NFL, they've created you know remarkably successful play action games where they've had the ability like you said to to move defenses all the way to a sideline uh and create these vast open spaces that uh you know those receivers can kind of just fill in uh and uh and it creates much easier throwing lanes uh for quarterbacks whether it's you know matt Schaub or case Keenum or bade manning or brock osweiler whoever they've been able to to create uh, these additional advantages off of play action where you know, these linebackers, um, very often play action, you're trying to suck them up directly in. And so they're moving laterally and they have to move back. It's much easier to kind of clog a passing lane if all you have to do is kind of move vertically up and down the field versus if you have to kind of turn your body completely around, uh, in order to, to get back into your zone landmark. So, um, when, so
1: yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, just when we're talking about this, I look at Kirk Cousins and we know his exact ceiling, which is, a sort of a unique situation where you you could say, I know exactly how good this guy has the potential to be because we saw it in 2016. Sean McVay is his offensive coordinator and he's got weapons all over the field that year. He's got a good offensive line that year and he slipped into the top 10 quarterbacks by pro football focus. He threw for nearly 5,000 yards. They were one of the most efficient, offenses in passing in the league, Washington was that year, uh, which was not always the case with Kirk Cousins as the quarterback, um, but that was the perfect scenario for him to succeed. How close can the Vikings get it between Gary Kubiak's presence and Kevin Stefanski working with him and what they have to work with in terms of offense and just really with a lack of dollars and cents, how much they can actually improve the supporting cast around him?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's, you know, a really good point that, that Cousins has been pretty sensitive to the, to the talent level of the sporting cast around him, but that doesn't just include, you know, the talent of the receivers, the talent of the offensive line, although clearly evidence does indicate that, but also, uh, the talent of the play caller kind of managing kind of what he does well and what he doesn't do well and kind of try to emphasize his strengths. Uh, and so having a play caller plus somebody who's worked in a system to advise that play caller, um, you know, having all of that together, I think, is probably going to maximize Cousins uh, in some way. But obviously, you have to figure out this question about the offensive line. There's no Trent Williams on this offensive line. You don't have, you know, a bunch of people who are kind of near Pro Bowl level, uh, you know, and, and, you know, top picks like Brandon Sheriff or, or or surprisingly good, you know, right, tackles like Morgan Moses. You don't have that. Um, maybe Brown and Neal turns into that, but you still got to figure out kind of what's happening on those four other members of the offensive line. Uh, when you take a look at how offensive lines are performed under kubiak particularly in the running game but you could take a look a little bit in, in, in pass blocking efficiency too you know a lot of these players that have worked under kubiak and then have worked in in different situations they tend to play a little bit better both in pass protection and especially as run blockers uh with kubiak now there's going to be an open question about you know who the offensive line coach is whether or not they'll be successful the vikings have been looking at apparently multiple options along the offensive line. There's some really intriguing names out there, people who have turned good players into great players, bad players into all right players. That's going to matter a lot because the Vikings don't have a bunch of capital to go and get new offensive linemen. They don't have a ton of space with which to kind of fit new offensive linemen in. There's only five and you're not probably not getting rid of Riley Ree for Pat Elfline and Brian O'Neill. Uh and so figuring out a, a system that works with you know, whoever the new offensive line coach is uh, and works with what Gary Kubiak thinks might work best and, and works with what Stavansky wants to do uh, in the passing of the running game. All of that's going to be really important because, you know, Cousins has demonstrated, you know, even though his passer rating this year under pressure was actually pretty good, he's demonstrated just kind of generally speaking that you need to create predictable situations for him mm-hmm. in order for him to really succeed. And I think having the talent level of the offensive line improve either through coaching or talent acquisition is going to be a big part of that.
1: So I'm, I'm going to give you two options. You tell me which one would be better if the Vikings did it in terms of how they shape or reshape their roster here with free agency in the draft. Option number one is they do things like restructure Everson Griffin and let Anderson Dejo go and maybe even trade Trey Waynes or something. Okay. So they kind of take that cap space that they've spent on the defense and they pour it into more weapons and offensive linemen for Kirk Cousins. So they get uh, Mark Lewinsky from the Indianapolis Colts. He's a free agent. Let's say they sign maybe not a golden Tate, but let's say like Adam Humphreys, a good wide receiver from Tampa Bay. So they pour some cash into, we're going to do everything we can and they draft a guard. That's option one. Option two would be to hope that Gary Kubiak can take what he has on offense currently with lots of talent there and a poor offensive line. They tweak it a little bit and they look for some sort of under the radar offensive lineman. Don't spend a whole lot there and go crazy on the other side of the field. Adding someone like Landon Collins or Tyron Matthew or Grady Jarrett, just going all in on the defensive side and, and I'm looking at this through the window because I think there is an argument for both, Arif, because I'm looking at it through sort of the lens of the top four offensive teams in the league making the championship games. And as much as you want the Vikings to have a top four offense next year, it's probably not happening. So the way to close that gap might be can you stop some of those teams and do just enough on offense, meaning get into the top ten or somewhere. Which one of those options do you like more?
0: I think that the marginal value of any additional uh, pieces on defense is going to be lower than the marginal value of the pieces that you have on offense. And I think what really, functionally, that you're chasing here is probably a way to maximize your point differential, right? That's kind of what it sounds like this exercise is doing, and you either can do it by limiting the number of points other offenses can score or scoring more points yourself. And I think you increase the number of points by, you know, finding Adam Humphreys, by adding that guard and so on, then by moving your defense from, you know, number four to number two or something like that. Um, cause that's kind of what it seems like, even if, you know, you, uh, you find a way to like land, you know, Tyron Matthew and, and have him as kind of your, your third safety or whatever. Um, you know, even if you kind of do all that, you find a way to, see all the eight defensive backs that you want to have on the roster mm-hmm. and so on. Um, I think that you're moving your defense in, a, you know, a really good direction. uh, But kind of the, the number of points you limit will drop from like 21 points a game to 19 points a game. Whereas I think offensively, you know, you can move yourself up from 24 points a game to 27 points a game with a couple of more offensive investments, even if you have to do something almost radical like trading Trey Wayne's. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, like drafting a guard, which you don't even have to do in the first round to find a good one. Um, so, um, yeah. And, and it's not to say that there's not, you know, some kind of magical middle ground here. Like if you find a way, to, <laughs> sorry, if you find a way to, um, retain some of the key pieces on defense, uh, like Anthony Barr, you can draft one of these like 18 amazing defensive tackles in the draft. Mm-hmm. You can improve your defensive line, um, even by letting Sheldon Richardson go. Um, you can improve some of the pieces that you have defensively um while also uh making you know key investments in the offense. Because I don't think someone like um you know maybe Adam Humphreys will cost a little bit, but I don't think he's gonna cost, you know, that much more than um than you know trying to re-sign Aldrich Robinson and and kind of a mid tier guard or something like that. Um so yeah, you could do that. Um he might be worth if you're gonna do something as radical as trading Trey Wayne's. Maybe not even taking a look at Golinski, who has done really well as he's moved on from Tom Cable coaching to D. Guglielmo coaching. Um, you, you could find someone like Roger Saffold, right? Somebody who's got experience in zone running, uh, who would be a stopgap for only a couple of years given his age, um, but might not actually cost as much because this guard market, I don't think it's going to drive up any, you know, significant prices. And then you can start thinking about, you know, ways that that'll improve, uh, you know, your ability to score offensive points when you pair them with kind of a young guard or something like that. So there's probably a way to do both, but I think if I'm biased in any particular way, it's towards improving the offense.
1: I think that's right. And when you go all in on Kirk Cousins, I, I, if I were them, if I were the general manager of the team, I think I'd be saying, you know what I don't ever want is someone to say, you guys didn't do enough for Kirk Cousins. That at the at the end when this is all over with him as the quarterback and maybe we're Super Bowl champions or maybe we're fired. But whatever. If we're fired, I don't want anyone to say, "Hey, uh, why didn't you guys do this? Why didn't you guys give him a number three wide receiver? Why didn't you guys get him a better guard?" You want it to be if it's going to fail, it's going to fail with giving him everything possible that you could to succeed and not leave anything on the table there. And then I, I mean, I agree with you in terms of the points you can create versus the points you can reduce. Uh, it's pretty likely that even if the Vikings have some players leave because of free agency, or even if there's injuries last year, they, they showed that they can overcome some things just based on uh, the highly talented players that they have, especially uh, Daniel Hunter and Linval Joseph on the defensive line that even when Holton Hill comes into the game and has to play does pretty well. Uh, so even if you have to rob Peter to pay Paul a little bit here, uh, you're, you're getting a, a little bit more on that other side if you've got to take away from a Xavier Rhodes or a Trey Wayans and add offensive weapons to Kirk Cousins. And I think it's, it's very clear uh, that your, your point is correct that he is impacted a lot by the supporting cast. Everyone is impacted by the supporting cast. But in terms of his actual play, uh, we saw this year that he, need, he needs more than this, and I, I don't use that as an excuse for why he played poorly. There were plenty of opportunities to make a big throw, come up with something big, and it's always going to be the conversation, can he win one of these big games? Can he beat winning teams? And he deserves that because of his, his record and how he's played in those types of games. But if he's going to have the absolute best odds chance, it is probably stacking up everything around him.
0: Yeah. Um And, you know, we've had this conversation. I I was maybe a little bit aggressive about this, but, you know, we talked a little bit about, like, what how would you rank Kirk Cousins in particular situations, right? And we talked about, you know, if you give him all-pro receivers and all-pro offensive line and all-pro running back, whatever, if you give him kind of the best possible supporting cast and you give every quarterback that same supporting cast, you know, how does he perform over the course of the year versus kind of those other quarterbacks? And I said, it's possible that he could perform like a top-five quarterback, which was a little aggressive for you, but I think it kind of got my point across that, you know, if you put a good supporting cast around him, I think he could be better than most other quarterbacks in the same situation. But kind of the the inverse of that is if you've got a situation where you've got a dodgy offensive line, your receivers aren't always going to make plays for you, your running game isn't always going to be there, you know, he's going to perform far worse mm-hmm. than a lot of the quarterbacks around the NFL because they've got better improvisational capabilities. They've got, you know, the ability to kind of adjust a little bit better uh in terms of what they're seeing, you know, pre-snap uh, and not just post-snap. They've got a little bit better in terms of, you know, kind of the tools that they have to kind of get out of some sticky situations. So, um, you know, he's kind of a guy where uh, he's kind of a force multiplier where, you know, you've got, you know, a certain level of talent and he's going to multiply that level of talent in terms of what it means for your offense. If you've got a great offense, it's, he's going to turn it even better. If you've got a bad offense, he might be, make it worse. Uh And so he, more than I think other quarterbacks, because every quarterback's going to look good in an ideal situation, but I think he, more than other quarterbacks, really benefits from kind of those complementary investments in the offensive line and receivers and so on.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him top five as far as perfect situation quarterbacks, but I would put him toward the bottom in terms of making up for things that go wrong around him. Um, you know, I, I mean, maybe maybe you go 10th or something, perfect situation quarterbacks, because I still think there is the slight processing issue that you see him throwing late on on certain things, not seeing things, standing in the pocket too long, even when he has a good offensive line not having that pocket presence and also the just lack of ability to make a special play when it's called upon. I mean, so many times you see the great quarterbacks duck a rusher and slide a few steps to find that little extra space, that little extra time. Mahomes does the arm angle thing. Like Tom Brady does the pocket presence thing. Drew Brees does the crazy, insane bananas accuracy. You know what I mean? It's just, what does he do with those top guys on a third down and long? I think is where it sort of separates men from boys when it comes to quarterbacks. But I I would agree in terms of what type of production, how dangerous an offense can be with Cousins. It can be super dangerous if he's got all that. It's just... Uh, how often can you ever have all of that, right? I mean, that's the, that has always been the issue with me in terms of making the economics of this thing work, is just, so we're talking about these different ways they could try to sign this guy or draft this guy or put this guy in, but it's, can you ever quite do enough for him, around him, without... Uh, almost a perfect situation like it was in Washington, you're not getting that offensive line. You might be able to get a few more weapons, but there's always going to be some sort of shortcoming that he's going to have to deal with.
0: Yeah. And that, and that's kind of the big, big Q question about kind of why you would make that investment or whether or not that investment is ever going to be smart. Uh, if you could invest $84 million over the course of three years in you know, a quarterback, you know, you have to ask the question, you know, how how do we make this work and is it worth it if I have to continuously make investments at receiver, right? Because one of the things we didn't even talk about is at some point they're going to want to, you know, increase Adam Thielen's pay. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, and they have to do it at the same time. They have to ask this question, you know, you know, is Pat offline going to be, you know, the center that, you know, at his best moments in 2017, you know, or is he going to be the center we saw most of 2018? You have to ask those questions and then you have to add, you know, we have to replace Mike Remmers somehow. We have to account, you know, for Nick Easton somehow. You know, we have to do all this. We have to find a third receiver. And if you have to continuously pile up investments on a quarterback, you know, at some point, you know, maybe you've got this ideal quarterback, right? You've got this quarterback that um, in this situation, you know, he can do really well. But then you're not making an $84 million investment or whatever over the course of three years. You're also making probably another, you know, $50 million worth of investments again over that three year span, and so now Nature quarterback probably costs, you know, quite a bit more, like hundred and thirty million dollars instead of eighty four. Uh and so those are really the kind of investment decisions that you're making and that'll detract from the stuff that you know that you can do well, like coaching up and finding defensive backs or finding kind of unique linebackers that complicate pass protection schemes and stuff like that. And so that that's that's really the the real kind of investment that you have to make if you're if you're buying a quarterback like that. Instead of, you know, if you, say, draft Kyler Murray, you're you're probably getting a quarterback that, yeah, you're going to want some good pieces around him. You don't want him to get, like, crushed. He's 185 pounds, but you've got somebody who has the ability to kind of just make plays and be improvisational, and you don't have to invest as much in the stuff you're just not as good at investing in. You have to invest way more to be good at it than in in a defensive back where you know that, you know, if you sign a slot corner in free agency, he's probably going to be good next year. So, um, you know, that those are, those are kind of the additional questions that I don't think, I mean, the Vikings didn't have a ton of choices. It's not like they made necessarily the wrong decision, given kind of what their options were at the time. But it's, I think also a consideration that they didn't necessarily make is that you have to make complimentary investments to make cousins work. And so at that point, he costs way more than $28 million a year.
1: Yeah. It's a great point. And your competition has quarterbacks on rookie contracts. And so they could sign Brandon cooks to way too much money or the Kansas city chiefs paid through the nose for Sammy Watkins to get 40 catches, but he averaged 13 yards a catch and like, okay, well, they don't really care. So they overpaid for him. I was, talking about that a little bit uh, just with the Sammy Watkins move and like that was a receiver who was talented, but hadn't really ever lived up to his potential and they gave him a ton of guaranteed money. You might look at that just in a bubble and say, well, gosh, that wasn't a very good move, but you gave Patrick Mahomes a number three option at wide receiver even if you overpaid him, who cares? You're in the championship game. It doesn't matter because Mahomes isn't making that much money on the salary cap. It leaves. That's the way I look at it, Arif. It's just, it, it, it leaves such a thin margin for error. If you pay for Roger Saffold and then he falls off because he's 32 or he gets hurt. Like, uh, what was it? Mike, uh, Yapati was always like a oh, big name. We're going to get him. And then he gets hurt. Right. Um, and even someone like Alex Boone, where, On paper with PFF, he looked pretty good, but then he got here and didn't really fit and then was maybe falling off in terms of his age. That's what happens a lot with offensive linemen and any player who's around 30-something years old. And so if one of those investments doesn't work out, if your first-round pick doesn't come in and help you right away, which oftentimes they don't, then you feel like that's going to be the move that ends up sort of getting the blame. But when it's really you had a razor thin margin for error when you're paying the quarterback that much.
0: Yeah. uh, You have to be really very good at predicting the future in a way that you probably don't have to be when you've got that rookie quarterback contract because you can take multiple chances. You know, you can, you can pay Sammy Watkins, then you can draft, you know, Chris Conley, and then you can draft Tyreek Hill. And, you know, maybe one of them is going to turn out to be good. And it turns out, yeah. Okay. One of them turned out to be good. Right. Whereas you can make one investment, you know, on the offensive line or receiver or whatever, uh, when you when you pay that much for a quarterback, uh, and that's it, and you have to hope that that investment is good, and it's an investment in a position that you honestly don't have a great you know track record with. So uh, it becomes really very very difficult. And yeah, margin of error is kind of a good way to put it. I think um, it, it, it puts an emphasis on on your weaknesses instead of your strengths, and it has to kind of by its very nature uh, in terms of talent evaluation. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you have to be, you have to have like a full-fledged kind of plan and that plan has to be kind of relatively airtight and that, and that makes it very difficult.
1: All right. Uh, Arif, uh, your contribution here has been terrific. I appreciate you stopping by. I would suggest people that, uh, want to read a little bit about what Gary Kubiak can bring to the running game. Go check out your piece at, uh, The Athletic and, uh, because you and I don't generally, like, do these types of things, then I think it's the perfect way to end is give me the hottest take pick for the Super Bowl that you can come up with right now. With The, the four best offense, there's no hot take there. That's, <laughs> that's that's why I'm presenting you with this challenge. I believe in you.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, if Brees goes down and Teddy Bridgewater plays... I knew plays. you were going
1: to go there. That's exactly <laughs> where I thought... The only direction to go is it's not Chad Henney comes in from a homes in relief in the second half and brings it back. It's Teddy.
0: Yeah, it can't be. There's no fun hot take with Brian Hoyer, right?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think there is. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it has to be, it has to be Teddy. Uh, he, he's going to lead, uh, the Saints to Super Bowl victory, uh, leaving a very confused kind of Vikings fan base. <laughs>
1: I I do hope that uh, all the the teams run for 200 yards each. So then every uh, one on Twitter can argue for two weeks about whether running wins championships, because that's always fun.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. You know, some (laughs) some pot shot from from like a former scout. Oh, I thought running didn't matter. And then, you know, some arguments from fantasy football twitter guy doesn't you know that's great i love it that's good twitter
1: that is uh well that was our only entertainment last week because of most of uh most of the action that we had was was pretty bad so hopefully we get uh, some some better games this time around arif uh people can follow you on twitter have you changed your twitter name at all or is it still like arif football or something
0: Uh, Arif Hassan NFL
1: Okay, Arif Hassan NFL Follow him on Twitter and his work at The Athletic And we will talk to you all again soon Here on the Purple Podcast
0: This holiday, whether you're making A Baker's
1: Simple Truth Turkey for 40 Or a Murray's Baked Brie for 2 Baker's has fast, fresh delivery And free pickup So you can make holiday meals that bring you all together To create memories that last Baker's, fresh for everyone